This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode was pre-recorded as part of a live continuing education webinar. On-demand CEUs are still available for this presentation through all CEUs. Register at allceus.com slash counselor toolbox. I'd like to welcome everybody to today's presentation on culturally responsive services with persons who are LGBTQ2IK. And we're not going to cover everything. And, you know, I'm going to put out there at the beginning the caveat that a lot of the literature that has been written is still only written or was written um, for LGBT. Um, So the other um, sexual orientations that have been added to that aren't included and aren't spoken of as much. So I've done my best to kind of generalize and get you as much information as you as I could find that could be useful. And as always with um, culturally responsive services, you can't assume that anybody you meet is going to fit into this nice little package. You don't know how acculturated they are to the mainstream culture, how bicultural they are, um, etc. So we want to make sure to definitely check in with people before we assume that anything that we're going to talk about today really applies to them. So we're going to start out by learning terminology specific to the LGBTQ2IK community, explore specific verbal and nonverbal communication issues, and let me say the beginning part of the terminology, I'm going to go through really quickly um, because you can review it on your own if, um, if you need a refresher on some of that terminology, but I'd want to get down to some of the nitty-gritty stuff. We're going to learn about the stages of the coming out process and review the Neeson's three-phase model for recovery from shame. And we're also going to talk about the cultural or the counselor's tasks at each particular phase. We'll talk about some LGBTQ2IK cultural issues and how race, culture, and ethnicity impact identity and development and enculturation. We'll identify specific treatment issues which may be unique to this population. And finally, we're going to learn about the Family Acceptance Project, which is an advocacy project that has been started to help families that are dealing with a, a child who is coming out and, and help, helping them figure out how to support that child. So terms, sex is basically just the genetic anatomical characteristics that people are born with. Intersex represents the fact that some individuals are born with a reproductive and sexual anatomy that doesn't fit typical definitions of male or female. Not all of these people identify as intersex. 
Sexual orientation is the person's emotional, sexual, and or relational attraction to others, including heterosexual, gay, lesbian, bisexual, asexual, intersex. Gender identity is our inter- internal sense of being male or female. Because gender identity is internal, it's not necessarily visible to others. So sex is the external stuff, what, kind of what we're born with. Gender identity is more of a psychological concept, um, and so it's not necessarily visible. Transgender describes people whose gender identity expression is different from that typically associated with their assigned sex at birth. Gender identity, in many cases, is independent of sexual orientation, so you don't want to assume anything. Um, A transgender person transitions to express gender identity through various changes, including wearing clothes and adopting a physical appearance that aligns with their internal sense of gender. So this is a gradual process. They don't just wake up one morning and, and suddenly change how they're acting or interacting. Most. I mean, some people finally reach that pivotal point and they're like, you know what, I'm going to be true to myself. Um, But for other people, it's a gradual process. Gender expression is the manner in which people represent their gender to others through mannerisms, clothes, and personal interests. Now, the two in uh, LGBTQI2K represents two-spirit, an inclusive term created specifically by and for Native American communities. It refers to an American Indian or Alaskan Native American people who express their gender, sexual orientation, and or gender sex roles in indigenous, non-Western ways using tribal terms and concepts and or define themselves as LGBTQI in a Native context. So Two-Spirit, if you're working with somebody who is um, uh, Native American or Alaskan Native, might be a term that comes up. Heterosexism resembles racism or sexism and denies, ignores, denigrates, or stigmatizes non-heterosexual forms of emotional and affectional expression, sexual behavior, or community. Homophobia is defined as the, is defined as the irrational fear or aversion to or discrimination against LGBT behaviors or persons. Now, internalized homophobia is something we're going to talk about a little later. And it describes the self-loathing or resistance to accepting LGBT sexual orientation. And it's an important concept in understanding LGBT clients. Because we're working with people who are um, in a society that sometimes says, you know what, you really shouldn't be here or you shouldn't be this way. So figuring out what they think. And so, so sometimes they internalize those negative messages and develop internalized homophobia, and self-loathing. Lesbians are people who identify as female and are attracted to others who identify as female. Gay means anyone who's attracted to people of the same sex, so gay can be male or female. Bisexuals are attracted to both males and females. Transgenders are born a certain sex but identify as a different gender. Queer is actually a very inclusive term for anyone in the LGBT plus community. Choosing to identify as queer can mean individuals don't have to belong to a more specific category if they're not sure yet of their sexuality or gender or just simply don't want that label. Intersex means they're born a certain gender, but their sexual or reproductive anatomy is from the opposite sex. Asexual, and that's actually not even recognized in the acronym right now, um, When a person is asexual, it simply means they aren't very sexually attracted to either sex and generally have a low level of interest and desire to take part in sexual activities. 
it doesn't mean that it's a pathology. And that's one thing that they get a lot of times when they go into counseling and they start talking about relationships or, or whatever um, is they feel different because they don't have the uh, sexual urges that some of their, their peers do. Pansexual. When someone is pansexual, it means they're attracted to people regardless of their gender. They're attracted to people rather than partic one particular gender or sexuality. Polygamous or polyamorous are people who identify as having consenting open relationships with more than one person at a time. And kink is about people who have kinky fantasies. And this could involve BDSM, which stands for bondage, discipline, dominance, and submission, and sadomasochism. And some of the things that you may run into clients who have the kink affiliation female-led relationships, dom-sub relationships, straight-up BDSM. Uh, so being aware of what's out there and what's within the range of normal. And, you know, none of us really like that term normal because who are we to say what is okay? Um, uh, but being open to those sorts of concepts. So moving on to the nitty-gritty. LGBT. LGBT individuals have a creative vocabulary on the subject of sexual orientation, and they may often use code words for safety reasons. And, you know, you can kind of think about this. They may say, are you part of the community? When you work with people with substance abuse issues, especially alcoholism, for example, and they meet somebody else, they may say, are you a friend of Bill? And that means, are you an Alcoholics Anonymous? So it's a code word, so you don't have to out yourself to everybody to find out if it's safe to talk about particular topics or, or whatever. Some LGBT individuals disapprove of words used to describe them, so please ask. There's a variety of terms, and not everybody's comfortable with every term out there. So just ask. It's not offensive. It actually shows that you're interested and you're trying to be empathetic and supportive. The term homosexual, for example, overemphasizes sexuality and seems to indicate that the sex act is more important to homosexuals than it is to heterosexuals. It also resurrects memories of when homosexuality was considered a psychiatric disorder. Hence, the words homo, bi, queer, or gay are preferred by some LGBT persons. On the same line, some LGBT persons are offended by the term queer, so ask. Transgender persons may prefer the less, term, less clinical term trans for obvious reasons. You can see where transgender seems more clinical. It is important, however, when you're talking to a transgender person, and this is generally a lot closer to universal, um, to call the person by his or her preferred name, go figure, and to always use the gender designation that is chosen by the client. So if the client is identifying as male, you want to use the male pronouns. LGBT individuals rely tremendously on nonverbal cues to establish whether the situation is safe for them to be themselves. So we want to make our offices and our environments um, full of evidence that they're safe and they can be accepted and welcomed in our, in our clinics. A rainbow-colored flag is a good thing to have around. And... You can have a little rainbow-colored flag in the pencil holder of your desk. You don't have to, you know, go to great, um, what's the word I'm looking for, interior design steps. Small things let people know it's safe. A straight but not narrow bumper sticker on a car in, in the 
um, parking lot, that can be a hint. A mission statement that includes a commitment to honoring diversity or a commitment to treating LGBT clients. Have it out there. Have it written out there that you're, you have a commitment to providing a safe, welcoming, and nurturing environment. If you have the presence of gay or le- lesbian staff members, most areas, um, the community is relatively small. Now, that's not true everywhere. Some places the community is huge. Um, but a lot of times, people who are gay, lesbian, uh, transgender are going to the same social places, going to the same bars, going to the same um, restaurants and stuff. So they may get to know each other. And if they see somebody they know, they may feel a little bit more comfortable. It's not like you can just identify somebody who's gay or lesbian. But if somebody's there and they know each other. Materials used in treatment need to acknowledge the LGBT experience. So we want to figure out when we're providing case scenarios, when we're providing examples, when we have, when we're choosing literature and stuff to be out in the lobby, we want to make sure that the LGBT person is represented. We want to make sure that their concerns are represented. In contrast to how members of ethnic cultures are marginalized, LGBT individuals may receive disapproval and censure from those whom they most trust and rely on, their parents, relatives, religious leaders, teachers, and friends. So think about that. You know, that was one that kind of stuck with me for a while because it hadn't occurred to me that, I mean, the fact that sometimes coming out results in a lot of um, family disruption and chaos, I knew that. But I hadn't really thought about the fact that, you know, for other ethnic minorities, they can go back to their culture of origin. They can go back to their family. They can, there's a place they can go where they can feel safe. But for a lot of LGBT individuals, the place that they're supposed to feel safe is no longer safe. Most members of ethnic minorities can escape discrimination by returning to a supportive family or neighborhood. Additionally, when they're growing up, Positive role models are not as easy to identify. Now, with a lot of these um, new television shows, there are a lot more um, role models. There are a lot more people that are openly gay, um, transgender, that can serve as role models for people. So that's good. I mean, we're making progress. We're not there yet, but we are making progress. The LGBT culture is also one that is not developed, taught, or transmitted by families. So if somebody, you know, figures out that they're of a minority sexual orientation, then they've got to figure out what do I do with this? You know, generally you're raised in a family where girls are expected to marry off and become wives and men are expected to marry off and become husbands and this is how it goes and yada yada. Well, that's not the case here. And So figuring out exactly what they're supposed to do and where they're supposed to go and uh, becomes a a question. And we're going to talk even more about that later when we talk about the fact that there's not even a consensus on the correct way, if you will, to be gay. The correct way to embody this culture or exactly what this culture is. So it's still sort of in flux a little bit. Part of gay culture for some people, is the celebration of being gay. Not everybody chooses to come out of the closet. Not everybody chooses to um, embrace their sexual orientation. That doesn't necessarily mean that they are, um, I mean, obviously they are still gay. So we want to 
recognize that everybody's level of comfort with celebration of being gay is going to be very different. Because public acceptance is important, many LGBT persons want to advance the message that LGBT individuals are no different from non-LGBT persons. You know, they have marriages, they have children, they are successful in business, they, you know, it's a very fulfilling life. But there's another camp of per persons that are worried that highlighting the similarities and positive aspects of gay culture could mean the loss of the culture as the LGBT community and just being kind of sucked into mainstream culture. And they have a lot of pride. You know, this second camp um, really likes their individuation as a unique culture. And then some believe that the gay community should try to transform mainstream society rather than to join it. So there are different ways about how do we advocate, how do we handle the LGBT culture um, in, in terms of integrating or interacting with other cultures. The other aspect of the debate involves differences about whether there is only one way to be gay, which may lead to not honoring LGBT persons with other lifestyles or opposing views. Bisexuals, for example, experience uh, that oftentimes lesbians and gay men do not accept bisexuality as a legitimate sexual orientation, but regarded as a developmental phase on the way to acceptance of a lesbian or gay identity. Again, this is changing some, too. But it's important to recognize that there are still, you know, just like in any culture, there are still some people that are much more traditional and there are more people that are more progressive. Cultural factors don't impede sexual identity formation. Sexual identity formation is a developmental process we all go through. Cultural factors do delay or negatively impact identity integration involving internal and external acceptance and comfort of being with being known as LGBT. So it's important to understand that the sexual identity is going to form. Now, the race, culture, and, and ethnicity can impact whether the person's okay with that or they internalize the homophobia and develop a strong self-hatred and have negative uh, mental health outcomes. Um, there's positive engagement in uh, LGBT social activities. If the culture is not okay with that, then people are not going to reach out and engage in positive activities and develop a link with that community, which, as we just said, LGBT culture is not transmitted through families, so the only way to develop their identity as an LGBT person and figure out what it means is to be involved with the culture. So if they're not out there doing it, um, they're going to have their going to be struggling a little bit. They know who they are. They know what their preferences are. But trying to figure out how to fit into that community is, is going to be more of a challenge. Cultural factors affect internalized anxiety and avoidance as they relate to the LGBTQI2S's individual experience with attachment figures. For example, secure attachment during the coming out process enhances coping with anti-gay prejudice, self-acceptance, and self-esteem, which makes sense. If the person believes they can go and tell mom or dad that, um, guess what, you know, I'm gay, I'm lesbian, I'm transgender, and they feel like they can do that without losing parental love, and it goes as well as can be expected, then there's a much better outcome, and the person will not internalize as much self-loathing if they're like, okay, mom and dad can handle that, that's cool. 
In addition to understanding a client's ethnic background, counselors should keep in mind how the client's culture views LGBT individuals and the effect this viewpoint has on the client. Each ethnic minority group has norms and values about LGBT members and behavior. For example, LGBT persons of color may cope with trying to fit into the gay and lesbian communities in the face of racism and discrimination. So not only do they face racism and discrimination in the community at large, but they also face racism and discrimination within the LGBT communities. Um, for some, the added bur burden of these issues makes finding a comfortable place in society even more complex and difficult. In certain collectivistic cultures, cohesiveness of the group is an important value, and because of this, shame is a frequently used social constraint to control or deter expressions of homosexual behavior. So think back to the culturally responsive webinars we already did when we're talking about um, persons, persons who are Asian, persons who are Hispanic, um, persons who are uh, African-American. There's a large portion of people out there who ha come from a collectivistic culture that is, you know, that could influence how much or how well or how easily they embrace their sexual identity. Homophobia in the African-American community is often more intense than in the dominant community, so it's important to recognize. Many LGBT African-Americans say that they do not feel welcome or comfortable in predominantly Caucasian LGBT settings. So they face discrimination in Caucasian settings, um, but there's a lot of homophobia in the African-American community. So, you know, persons of color may find that they don't feel like they fit in. In Hispanic culture, some men who have sex with men do not consider themselves gay if they play the dominant role in the sexual act. So this is important to remember when working with uh, Hispanic clients because his, um, Hispanic culture being very collectivistic and there's a lot of issue with machismo and males being the center of the family. There's a lot of um, difficulty for men in the Hispanic culture to acknowledge that they may be um, gay, bisexual, or transgender. So what do we do? Let's enhance assets. Early and continuous attachment positively shapes relationship development in later years among all children, adolescents, and adults. An internal locus of control is going to facilitate self-efficacy. So if we can help children grow along the way, if we can help parents learn how to provide unconditional positive regard, then you're going to be able to um, ensure that they're going to have a better outcome or hopefully have a better outcome. Protective factors in one setting can compensate for the risks in multiple settings. So if they have a stable home base, if they've got a nurturing home base, for example, that's going to go a long way, even if at work and at school and, you know, with some of their friends, the coming out process doesn't go as well. If they have a nurturing home base where there's protective factors, they are going to be better off. Studies of resilience for youth who are sexual gender minorities have demonstrated positive social relationships moderate the relationship between stress and distress. So no different than the, the community at large. Affirming faith experiences contribute to less internalized homonegativity, more spirituality, and psychological health. And a lot of people think that the church is against gay people. The church is against LGBTQI2. Um, Okay, uh, but 
in reality, and these links will take you to it, there are a lot of churches that are recognizing the reality of the fact that there are a lot of people out there who are LGBT, who, who are among the sexual minority. The Episcopal Church, for example, has approved the ordination of transgender people. In 2010, 150 Orthodox rabbis and educators signed a declaration calling for the welcoming of LGBTQ Jews in the Orthodox community. And those are just two of the headlines. But this current Perspectives on Religion, if you click on that, it lists a bunch of the religions. I'm sure they don't have all of them out there. And you can read their basic position on LGBTQ. Family support and acceptance explains adolescent comfort and resilience in later life. So it's so important for the person who identifies as a gender or sexual minority to feel that they have got family support and acceptance. The term coming out refers to the experiences of lesbians and gay men as they work through and accept a stigmatized identity, transforming a negative self-identity in into a positive one. Now, there's no correct process or single way to come out, and some LGBT persons don't ever come out. So when you're working with somebody who identifies as LGBT2IK, um, we want to make sure that we recognize how much they're willing and comfortable coming out or how much they're planning on coming out. But regardless, we want them to transform their identity into a positive one, even if they don't come out. You know, how can you feel the way you feel and be who you are? If you're not going to come out, um, how can I help you be happy and healthy and all those sorts of things? SAMHSA Provider's Introduction to Treatment for LGBT Individuals provides a lot more information on this topic. We're going to hit the highlights real quick. The CAST model. Stage one, the person experiences identity confusion, and it occurs when a person begins to realize that he or she may relate to or identify as being LGBT. This is a process of kind of personalizing identity. So during this time, we want to help people explore what does this mean to them and increase awareness of, you know, what their feelings are, what their attitudes are, um, what the community's attitudes are, so they know what's going on, and they can be, they can start exploring what this identity means to them. They may have feelings of anxiety and confusion, and that's okay. We want to help them get past that confusion and deal with, figure out what their anxiety is about and start dealing with that. Some of the defenses in this stage may be denial. They may say, you know what, no, that's just, it was just a phase. It's, I'm not really lesbian or gay or or whatever the case may be um so during this period it's really important for somebody to have a confidential support person that they can lean on when they're trying to figure out what's going on and they have those anxieties coming up somebody that they can talk to during stage two is identity comparison the person accepts the possibility that he or she might be lgbt so during this time, we want to explore the implications and encourage people to encounter others like themselves. Now, they may not be ready to do that, and that's okay. They're going to take the lead in this. There can be feelings of anxiety at this point still, but there also can be feelings of excitement, like, okay, I, I might be able to do this. 
if somebody's having difficulty in this stage, and there are times that they may, they may start bargaining or rationalizing and going, you know, if it turns out, you know, please just let this be a phase. You know, if this happens, then I'll do whatever. Or they could rationalize. Like I said, they may rationalize and think it's a phase. During the recovery stage of this uh, phase, we want to help people start meeting other similar gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender persons if they're comfortable with that. If not, one of the things that you might do is encourage them to find role models online um, or on, on, in the media so they can start exploring what it means to be LGBT. Stage three is identity tolerance and occurs when a person comes to accept the probability that he or she is an LGBT person. They want to or they need to start recognizing their social and emotional needs as an LGBT person. What does that mean? What do I need from my family, from my community, for myself? They may have some feelings of anger at this point. I didn't want to be this way. I didn't want this to happen. But they also, again, may still have feelings of excitement. During this phase, we can help people try to figure out what it means to them to be gay. How do you do that and enjoy a rich and meaningful life? How, am, how can I be gay and be my utmost person? You know, how, how do all these things fit together? And, and helping them see how that contributes to their life and their happiness. Identity acceptance occurs when a person fully accepts rather than tolerates himself or herself as an LGBT person. So we want the person to start developing community. And integrating with others. Now, they may not be out to all of their peers yet um, and may never be, but at least they have a community and they are starting to associate with other LGBT persons. They may have some feelings of rage and sadness. It's not fair that I have to be two different people um, or it's not fair that, you know, I'm this way, whatever the case may be. They may have hostility towards straight culture for the way that they feel like they're treated. So it's important to figure out what may be prompting that hostility. Where do they feel oppression? Where do they feel that they're being denigrated? Where do they, do they feel lack of acceptance from? And those can all become therapeutic issues. They want to continue at this point. We want to encourage them to continue community building. Stage five is identity pride. And the person at this point immerses himself or herself in the LGBT community and culture to live out their identity as totally as they can for them. During this point, we want them to have the full experience of being an LGBT person and confront internalized homophobia. Not everybody comes to this stage. Not everybody is wanting or willing to be out there and fully experience what this means. Um, and, and that's a choice. That's a very acceptable choice if they don't want to come completely out. If you're working with somebody that, you know, chooses to embrace the lifestyle, they may have feelings of excitement and some focused anger at people, institutions, here and there. At this point, there's an arrogant pride and rejection of straight culture as the norm. You know, they are proud. We want to help people integrate their sexuality, identity, and recovery. So if they came to us because they were dealing with anxiety and depression and self-esteem issues and everything, we want to help them integrate everything into this one beautiful well package. Uh, 
And finally, identity synthesis occurs when a person develops a fully internalized and integrated LGBT identity and experiences himself or herself as whole when interacting with everyone across all environments. So during this period, the person continues coming out as fully as possible. They may begin intimate gay or lesbian relationships and self-actualization begins. Who am I really? How can I be my best self? So we started that in the last phase, and we're really working towards it now, gangbusters. The person is excited and happy. They're not defensive. They are, this is who I am, and I love myself, and this is awesome. So for us at this point, we're terminating. You know, the person is happy. They don't need to be in counseling anymore. We want to encourage them to be happy. And, you know, if they come upon discrimination or oppression or or whatever it is, they have the tools to deal with that. But at that point, if it becomes problematic, they can come back to counseling. But, you know, they've moved through the process and they are rocking and rolling. Unfortunately, as this process goes, there's a parallel process. And it's a recovery from shame because our straight community, um, the majority community, still tends to stigmatize and oppress those of sexual minorities. So the first phase in the Neeson's three-phase model is breaking the silence. It's important for the LGBT individual to tell their story and address the pain of being different in a heterosexist society. So encouraging them to look at what, is it, what does heterosexist mean to them and what does it mean to be different. We can facilitate their discussion of hiding their LGBT feelings from others. We can explore the emotional costs of hiding or denying their sexuality. Does that mean we're encouraging them to not do it? Not necessarily. We want to let the client take the lead about what they think is safe because there's costs and benefits to everything. Decisional balance exercises are great here too. Discuss how the client has tried to fit in and at what cost because there's a lot of stress associated with trying to pass as heterosexual. So we want to talk about that. Examine negative feelings of self-blame, feeling bad or sick, and the effect of shaming messages on the client. And again, I am so thrilled to see so much more openness in the media, at least, to um, people who are sexually different is, is awesome. And fostering a client's ability to be out. So during this first phase, we're wanting to help them figure out what does it mean to be out and What do I need in order to come out? Phase two allows clients to understand their struggle in the context of societal discrimination and prejudice. So as clinicians, we can facilitate focusing and managing anger constructively, not destructively. Remember in the coming out process, there there were several uh, stages where anger was a predominant emotion. So how could you use this anger? Remember, anger represents a feeling of threat. You feel threatened. You feel oppressed for some reason. Where's that coming from? And how can you use that energy? Just being angry isn't going to fix anything. So how can you use that energy to improve the next moment, to improve society, to improve your environment? We want to help the client understand and accept negative self-image as sociocultural and not personal. So we're starting to address that internalized homophobia. And counteract clients' experience of heterosexism and homophobia by role modeling and providing a treatment environment that's empowering for LGBT persons, not stigmatizing. Look around. 
at what messages you have out there and whether it's accepting um, and, and productive or destructive. Phase three is when they reclaim personal power. It involves improving self-concept, self-esteem, and self-concept. You remember the last phase of um, the coming out process was self-actualization. So we're kind of paralleling still. We can help the client facilitate their own self-efficacy and self-concept. You know, who are you? You know, let's define who you really are when you, you've stopped, you know, trying to fit in and trying to be what you think everybody wants you to be. Who are you? Identify and change negative messages to affirmations. You know, if they get a message that it's, it's not okay to love somebody of the same gender, how do you change that? to an affirmation. I deserve love, and I deserve to love. Recognize and release residual shame. Develop a positive, affirming spirituality. And remember, spirituality is that connectedness, that sense of being part of something and interconnected to the world. It's not necessarily religion. Integrate, well, before I move on, it is important for a lot of people, not everybody, um, at this point, to find a church home, find a, a, a home within their religion that is accepting of them. If they were raised, you know, Buddhist or if they were raised Christian or, or Jewish or whatever, it is very helpful to encourage them to find a welcoming environment. Not all churches, you know, even if the um, person goes to an Episcopalian church, for example, not all Episcopalian churches are going to be welcoming as others. So testing out different churches and different communities to figure out where there's a good home can be helpful if spirituality and especially religion is important in their lives. Encourage them to integrate their public and private identities so they're not, you know, trying to live two lives because that's exhausting. And build a support network connecting to the LGBT community, but also to persons in the straight community, who are supportive. Other treatment issues. One-third of suicide first attempts of LGBT youth occurred within the same year of self-identification as gay or bisexual. So if you work with adolescents, this is an important factor. One-third of suicide first attempts occur within a year of self-identification. So there's a lot of chaos and, and conflict going on within that person's mind. Counselors need an understanding of the dynamics of LGBT interpersonal relationships, including the internal and external problems of same-sex couples. So, you know, same-sex marriage is allowed in certain states, not allowed in other states, recognized um, by some providers, not recognized by other providers when we're thinking insurance and other things. Um, so there are a lot of unique stressors within relationships that are unique to the LGBT relationships. Um, and we want to make sure that we understand the broad diversity and variety of relationships in the community. On top of that, although many individuals have a life partner, others are single or in non-traditional relationships outside the cultural norm of the heterosexual, monogamous, legally sanctioned marriage. So... And, and this is another thing that I've seen growing over the years, over the past decade. The people that are in um, non-monogamous relationships or non-legally sanctioned marriages has gone up quite a bit. So being aware of the different options out there. 
and exploring any of your personal biases as it relates to, you know, whether marriage is supposed to be through a man and a woman, monogamous, and all those things. What does that mean to you as a clinician? Many LGBT individuals are parents and have children from heterosexual marriages, adopted children, or children through other means, such as in vitro fertilization. Parenting issues and helping children deal with oppression because they're being raised by gay parents may also be very salient issues for these parents. Growing up in a society that says they should not exist, LGBT clients may have internalized homophobia. We can help them start looking at what kind of negative messages do you tell yourself? If they're parents and they're raising children, what kind of messages do you tell yourself about your children's sexuality? You know, maybe because of your internalized homophobia, you're saying, you know, they can't grow up to be gay or, or bisexual or whatever it is. Um, and, and that may or may not be true, but we want to make sure that people are kind of looking at that and how society's messages impact them and impact everything they do. LGBT people may be victims of anti-gay violence and hate crimes, so trauma counseling may be appropriate. LGBT persons experience stressors not only related to coming out, but also as passing as heterosexual. So if they haven't come out fully to everybody, you know, they may at their work environment, for example, feel they need to pass, where in their private life they can um, embrace their not-heterosexual identity. HIV and AIDS continues to be a major factor in gay male life, and it's also a factor in transgendered life to a certain extent because trans... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Testosterone has to be injected. And if people are relying on black market... Um, hormones, they also may be re relying on or getting needles from not such scrupulous places. So being aware that HIV and AIDS and bloodborne pathogens continue to be a major factor. Being effeminate is sometimes condemned in the gay community, and this characteristic may add to a gay man's shame, just knowing that. So you don't assume that being effeminate is okay and that's not an issue at all. Just know that it could be. Bisexuals may feel alienated not just from the heterosexual community, but also from lesbian and gay community. So they internalize biphobia, which results in a struggle towards self-acceptance. For transgendered persons, hormone therapy is often an overlooked issue. Hormone therapies, now think about it, if you've ever known anybody on hormone therapy, whether they're taking testosterone injections or they're taking steroids or they're um, taking, you know, female hormones, it affects mood, and if it's taken improperly, it can really dramatically affect mood. And sometimes, you know, the pre prescription stuff can improve mood, but it's important to understand that, especially if they are um, on a hormone replacement or therapy for transgendered persons, there's a lot of chaos going on in their body, so they may have mood swings that they need to learn how to deal with. Transgender clients may face additional risks from using street or black market hormones. And because testosterone must be injected, obtaining or using needles may be relapse triggers for clients in early recovery from IV drug use. So if they were addicted to opiates or something that they were injecting, it can be a relapse trigger. LGBT individuals have been marginalized by some health professionals. Um, who historically labeled LGBT sexual orientation as deviant or pathological. So a lot of times, 
LGBT individuals may not disclose their sexual orientation to healthcare providers, and especially, unfortunately, not mental health clinicians or psychologists, because the big old DSM was pathologizing them for so long. So this Family Acceptance Project, I told you there was an advocacy project that was working to help people um, who have children who begin to explore their identity as a sexual or gender minority. The Family Acceptance Project has identified a clear link between families rejecting reactions to sexual orientation and gender expression during adolescence and negative health and mental health outcomes. Kind of predictable there, but not a surprise. Family Acceptance Project recognizes that parents and caregivers who are seen as rejecting their LGBT child are often motivated by care and concern to help their child fit in or have a good life and be accepted by others. They want their child to be okay. They want their child to be, quote, normal. And they have difficulty understanding that their child can be LGBTQI2K and be normal. Understands that family behaviors are not isolated incidents, but occur in a cultural context. So it's not just one time mom says, that you just can't be telling me that. It's repeated messages that they get from mom and dad as they're growing up and even after they've come out, aimed at socializing their children and adolescents to adapt and be successful in a heteronormative society. These behaviors aim to protect their children from harm and victimization due to their LGBT identity and gender expression. So a lot of times the things that we do inadvertently may be oppressive to our children if we don't recognize that they have a um, different sexual identity. The Family Acceptance Project uses research findings to link reactions to their child's identity with health, mental health, and well-being. So we want to show them, research says that if you have this reaction, it's going to promote well-being. So let's work for this reaction. Beyond building a strong alliance between families and providers, Family awareness of the consequences of negative behavioral reactions is the most important mechanism of change. It helps parents understand that what they do and how they react and how they continue to react will continue to have an impact. So, yeah, the initial reaction may not have been great, but it's not too late. They can back up. They can, you know, begin accepting and supporting that person once they kind of catch their breath for a second. Um, parents and families often experience their lack of knowledge about LGBT issues as inadequacy that feels disempowering and shameful. So think about when your kid has come to you with a problem. You know, we're supposed to be parents. We're supposed to know how to fix it or know how to do whatever. And if they come to you with a problem and we don't know what to do with it, then we can feel very out of control. And that's not... A good feeling especially when you're dealing with your child's well-being so viewing it from that perspective what can I do to help you feel empowered what can I do to help you feel adequate as a parent many families per perceive their LGBT identity as a loss particularly a loss of control over their child's future so differentiating loss um, it's not a loss in the I didn't have the child that I wanted, it can be the loss of, oh my gosh, I cannot protect my child and I cannot, you know, help him avoid stigmatization. 
Providers should help families validate and address these feelings by affirming the importance of family support to build their child's self-esteem, promote well-being, and buffer rejection and negative reactions from others. The Family Acceptance Project recognizes that when rejecting and accepting behaviors coexist, if they get rejecting in public and accepting at home or some things are rejected and other things are accepted or sometimes parents will accept their children but then they see something that is um, between a gay couple on TV and they make a negative comment or nonverbal. It's confusing to the child. So we want to help parents and families recognize that there is ambivalence. There can be ambivalence. But when there is ambivalence, there's decreased support and increased risk for the child because the child's going, okay, so how do you really feel? Do you, do you, do, do you support me or was this reaction more, more actual to how you really feel inside? Education and learning their reactions and that effect, the effect of it ha- that it has on their LGBT children can improve communication and help parents and caregivers respond in ways that help their LGBT child feel supported and loved rather than misunderstood or rejected. You can read more about the project with this link. So when you're working with LGBT clients and families, there are some guidelines to kind of remember. You want to demonstrate support and understanding for the client their spouse, life partners, and significant others. There's no universal terminology regarding significant others in the LGBT community. So ask. Again, sometimes it comes down to asking, what would you like me to call your partner? Your partner, your, your spouse, your husband, what term do you want me to use? Acknowledge the individual's self-identification. They self-identify as bisexual or intersex or asexual This is what we're going to acknowledge and validate. We need to be aware of biases that we we personally have regarding what a family should be like. What does family mean? Does it mean, you know, two kids, a dog, and a white picket fence? Or does it mean an interaction where two people who love each other are coexisting or something else? So what does a family mean? Understand the diversity and variety of relationships in the LGBT community, and you could do an entire presentation on that. Um, And so it's important to recognize the different things and the spectrum of normal, the spectrum of behaviors that goes on out there. You would be surprised at how much um, BDSM and kink and things are out there and embraced by nearly a majority Um, You know, the numbers are getting much, much higher, especially since Fifty Shades of Grey came out. People have started becoming more open about their kink and about their sexual orientation. And, you know, like I said, media has also done a great job at helping people who are um, gay, lesbian, and transgender feel like they've got role models and they're accepted. Don't assume when you're working with these clients that there's no history of opposite sex relationships. There probably is. And it can be when they're still trying to figure out their identity, but it could be that they had opposite sex relationships later on in life too, for whatever reasons. Um, So we want to talk about those. When you're doing your assessments, use culturally sensitive assessment measures. Avoid labeling your clients. Meet them where they are in the coming out process and respect their need to feel safe. Be guided by them, listening to what they say is comfortable for them. So if they say it's not comfortable, 
to start making friends in the community, that's okay. What is comfortable for you? What would you like to do for your next step? What could help you learn more about this issue? Advocate and create safety for LGBT clients. Supporting and encouraging positive images of LGBT. LGBT. So within the media, within social media, within um, advertising. I know, who was it? I'm thinking M MTV had a very awesome uh, transgender commercial that came out about a year ago. I can't remember. Um, but it's important to support and encourage positive images. Develop a diversity preparedness plan for working with the LGBT community. And in your course, I have I found this checklist that was so awesome that was done by a school system, and it's in, included in the additional resources. But they worked on developing a diversity preparedness plan, so it's one that you might use as a model for your own practice. And work with commu the community to understand their particular needs and concerns. For example, um, I know there are some places in Texas, and I'm thinking Austin is one of them, where the LGBT community is huge and it's embraced. Um, there are drop-in centers. There's lots of social activities. And then there are other places where the LGBT community really doesn't have much in the way of resources and they have far different needs and concerns. Um, so being aware of what's true in your community is really important to help your clients. Couple more things when you're taking a family history. When you're working with all clients, you're going to ask what were the rules of the family system? Was there a history of physical, emotional, sexual, or spiritual trauma? Were all family members expected to evolve or behave in a certain way? And what were the family's expectations in regard to careers, relationships, appearance, status, or environment? Those are normal things that you're going to talk about uh, with every single client that probably already on your um, probably already on your assessment sheet. Um, when you're working with LGBT clients, you also may want to ask, was anyone else in the family acknowledged to be or suspected of being a lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender? Because a lot of messages get communicated. And kids, even when they're little, you know, you're getting ready to go to a family reunion and the parents are talking and they hear stuff. They start getting those messages even when they're little about what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, what they think about Aunt Sally, etc. How did the family respond to other individuals coming out or being identified as LGBT individuals? So they may hear about somebody in their church or in their community who's come out. What was their reaction? Is the client out to his or her family? That's obviously something we want to ask. And if the client is out, what type of response did he or she receive? So those are things that can help you get a better idea about what types of images and, and messages the person got and what the reception was like for them. Or if they haven't come out yet, could indicate some of the reasons for internalized homophobia or fear of coming out. Now, the sexual orientation assessment tool, I do have time to click on this really quick. Again, this is in the document um, in the class online. But I found it to be a really nice assessment tool. You have to scroll down to page 40. Hmm, what page are we on? Okay, I thought it was page 40. Oh, that's page 72. There we go. Coleman's assessment tool. Um, it asks people to identify what their current relationship status is. And so even in the assessment, you know, you can start putting out ideas and verbiage and... and um, 
hints, I can't find the word I'm looking for, that being uh, LGBT is okay. So what's your current living relationship? How do you define or how do you identify in terms of sexual orientation? In the future, how do you want to identify yourself? In terms of your comfort with your current sexual orientation, you know, how, how do you feel? And then it starts talking about um, up to the present time and in the future. So I was born a biological male or female up to the present time. And then in the future or in the ideal, I wish I had been born. So if they wish they had been born female, they could put that there. And you can start looking about at the differences between where they are and how they identify right now and who they are and how they want to identify in the future. So this is free. It is part of your um, SAMHSA document that's in your classroom. <clears throat> Other resources. PFLAG, Parents, Families, and Friends of Lesbian and Gays. They have a membership of over 200,000 people. Eschel is dedicated to the work of supporting Orthodox LGBTQ Jewish individuals in their desire to live fully in their religious and cultural traditions. Both of them have websites. There's also the National LGBT Health Education Center. MTV um, from the UK has an entire pride section. SAMHSA, a provider's introduction to treatment for LGBT individuals. This one is old, but it's the latest one that they have. Um, there's another guide for understanding, supporting, and affirming children, youth, and families. And an, whoops, and an asset-based approach for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, questioning, intersex, and two-spirit youth and families in systems of care. So figuring out how to enhance assets within the system of care for this particular culture. <coughs> I know I covered a bunch of stuff. Are there any questions? Alrighty, if there are none, you guys are good to go. Have an awesome weekend, and I will see you on Tuesday. Thank you all for coming. If you enjoy this podcast, please like and subscribe, either in your podcast player or on YouTube. You can attend and participate in our live webinars with Dr. Snipes by subscribing at allceus.com slash counselor toolbox. This episode has been brought to you in part by allceus.com, providing 24-7 multimedia continuing education and pre-certification training to counselors, therapists, and nurses since 2006. Use coupon code counselor toolbox to get a 20% discount off your order this month.